Hi, I'm Franco Herrero, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I speak to people working at the highest level of tennis, from players to coaches to trainers and more. This week I'm chatting to Argentinian strength and conditioning coach, Franco Herrero. Franco is a young trainer but comes from an experienced background. He became the director of strength and conditioning at the Everett Academy at a young age and has gone on to work with some great players such as Sophia Kennan, Tommy Paul, Monica Puy, and many more. He tells us about his journey, things he's learned along the way, how the pros recover after a tough match, what's important from a movement perspective for players of a young age and coming into their teenage years. He also touched on a comment made by Federer during his retirement weekend at the Labour Cup, where Federer said, the best players the past 15 to 20 years have been the best movers and this will continue. I post this quote on Instagram and there were some interesting replies. Franco helps clear this up and give better understanding to Federer's quote. Before we start, if you enjoyed this episode, check out our other great episodes with tour trainers who are respectively all long-term trainers of their athletes. We've Matt Little, who worked with Andy Murray, still does. Sebastian Durand, who works with Grigor Dimitrov. Eric Hernandez, who works with Daniel Medvedev. And also check out the episode with Lapo Beccarini, who works with multiple players and is one of our most popular episodes. Okay, let's jump in with Franco. Hi, Franco. Welcome to Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Thanks, Fabio. Oh, good. Really good. Great to have you on. I came across you earlier this year where you were posting some great high-quality videos of you training with Tommy Paul. And I thought, wow, these videos are great. They're really perfect for functional tennis. And it was amazing. And then I found out who your girlfriend is, who I previously worked with her. She used to send me videos from other tennis people she worked with. I was like, this is great. So, yeah, tell me, how is life? Where are you based? And then we'll, we'll talk a bit more about your upbringing and where you're from and who you're working with. But how's life right now? Everything is great. Of course, it makes it easy with the content. You know, when you have a girlfriend that works on, on social media management, she's been super helpful. So and we love, you know, the content that you post in Functional Tennis, definitely a follower for the last many years, you know, of the content that you put out there. So, you know, when you contact me about like sharing some content together and stuff, I mean, I loved it. It was super fun. Regarding myself, I'm based in Boca Raton, Florida. I've been here since uh, 2014. I moved straight from Argentina. And I worked, I mean, I work based, I use as my base, the Everett Tennis Academy, which is based, it's uh, Chris Everett's uh, Academy, it's based here in, in Florida, Boca Raton. I used to work there, like, for four years. Right now, you know, I'm working independently, but I use their facility to work with my players, pros and, and juniors. And right now, who you work with, I know you're working with Tommy Paul. Are you working with Sophia Cannon also? Yes, I, I mean... Uh, Pros, I'm working with Tommy and Sonia. Also, I've been working during the past years with Renata Sarasua from Mexico. And I have some guys like work playing on the Challenger Tour, like Alex Rybakov. And then I have a lot of juniors that I really actually enjoy working with. You know, always we talk about the pros and stuff, but I also really enjoy, you know, all the development stages and stuff like that. I work with juniors since I moved to the States and stuff. So I do a little bit of everything. Nice. And I did text you. It was a Friday. I was like, are you in London? Could you have went to London? 
<laughs> that, that, that was a painful one uh, because, uh, of course, as you know, Tommy went there as a sub for uh, Labor Cup and, uh, and we we're supposed to use it as a training week since he wasn't going to be playing. We are okay, let's do it as a training week because then Tommy was going to stay like six weeks straight in Europe playing tournaments. But then we decided to pull off the first two so we could train, you know, two weeks and then go to the last four tournaments of the year. And that's why I didn't go because if, if you had played those first two tournaments, I was probably going to go so we could do like a training week. But then when we decided to change that, I decided to stay here, you know, anyways, we were going to be training these two weeks. And then Roger came out with the news that he was retired. I was like heartbroken but uh but it's okay i mean i, I saw it on tv i enjoyed the whole event on tv and and i've been in contact with tommy and everything's been amazing apparently i mean really nice and just while we're talking about roger here while it's so close to his retirement for you what did he mean as a player for you growing up i mean as a player i, I enjoyed the earlier i was thinking about that you know the amount of hours that, that we've spent, you know, all of us, like watching Roger, like entertaining us, you know, it's like we all have spent, anybody that loves tennis has spent like so many hours just being entertained by Roger, just on the TV, you know, of course, a lot of people have been lucky to see him live, you know, on court. I, I, I saw him actually on a very nice match here with the Curious in Miami. And uh, I don't know, he, he's the one that changed the game, you know, he's the one that created this new era. Then you know, there is all these arguments regarding who's the GOAT and stuff like that, which I don't get involved. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Roger fan. I'm a big uh, fan of Rafa too and Nole. But definitely he's the one that changed the era and he's the one that the other two in this case, you know, they've been trying to catch up with and, and he's been their, you know, person to follow. So, so I think he was huge for tennis. Definitely he was like a game changer. Definitely. And we're recording this the morning after the Team World victory. Have you been speaking to any of the Team World members this morning? Yeah, I just I just got a message from Tommy actually telling me that he's going to work out today. Was there a few beers last night? Yes. So I guess like, I mean, it's like 3, 4 p.m. right now over there. So probably he's recovering from it. But I mean, it's good. I mean, I'm sure they celebrated well. Uh, they had some fun yesterday night. Uh, I, th- I think it was an amazing event. How everything went, uh, a lot of like epic matches, huh? Like... Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun matches, like a lot of tension. Uh, yesterday, the one from Tiafo and Sisipas and Real, the surprise from Felix. I, th- I think it was a great Labor Cup for Team World in general. It was, and it just showed that you could lose the first set and you're still in the chance. You know, like a lot of times the guys lost the first set and they were the ones who won the match. So, uh, yeah, definitely the level was great. And the courts, I found the courts a bit too slow. It's a bit frustratingly slow. Yeah, I heard actually Tommy's been playing like on, on indoor courts the last two weeks and both times they've been slow. One was in, uh, he was playing Davis Cup last week and uh, now this week, you know, it was Labor Cup and he actually, he didn't mention the fact that the courts were kind of like a very, very slow. But probably, you know, for the people, it makes it more entertaining because it makes the points longer. You know, you got to work to hit through the other player for a longer period of time and it makes, you know, bigger, longer rallies. So for the spectators, probably it's fun. It was good. I felt bad for Sitsipas yesterday. I know he got off to a bad start, but he was trying to beat the crap out of the ball and take it so early. And it just, he played well. And sometimes you don't win playing well, but it was exciting. Yeah. But look, let's throw it back to the early days. You grew up in Argentina. You were a tennis player. Your parents owned a gym there, as far as yeah. I know. What was your tennis career like? I mean, I was a normal player. You know, I... I I think I played a lot until I was like 12. I started playing when I was five and I played a lot until I was like 12, 13. I used to play like every day, you know, train every day. I was really into it. 
I think I was a decent player back then. And then uh, after that, I, I started taking it more kind of like as a hobby. Like I would like train like two to three times a week since I was 12 until I was like probably 17, 18. And then when I was 17, I, I stopped playing. When I finished like high school, I stopped playing. As you mentioned, you know, my I'm from Bahia Blanca. It's a small city in the south of Buenos Aires province. It's where Guido Pela is from, for example. Okay. So, I mean, I grew up there, a lot of, you know, playing at the club and stuff like that. So I played some national tournaments, never any international events. But definitely, I, I, I like the game. You know, I really enjoy playing the game and I like the game. And as you mentioned, you know, I have a, a strength and conditioning background because both of my parents are gym owners in Argentina, my city. So I felt like then I, then I went to college and I studied like uh, physical education. And that's when I tried to put, you know, both things together, kind of like my passion for strength and conditioning with my passion for tennis. That is a sport that I do my whole life and that I have the most knowledge about, you know, I mean... Uh, and since then, to be honest, I haven't played much. I play here and there, you know, so once in a while, like Tommy has, will ask me to hit or one of my players will like ask me to hit and we'll hit some balls with Tommy's coach, with Brad Stein, we hit a few times. But I, I don't play much, to be honest. I'm, I'm around it all the time, Yeah, but I don't play much. You're too busy working. And going back to your age back in Argentina, do we know any similar players from your age group or any of them still on the tour? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, in Argentina... A little older than me was Guido Pela, that is from my city, from Bahia Blanca. But then the, probably the most known one right now is uh, Schwarzman. You know, Schwarzman is yeah. uh, 91, 91, so definitely, I mean, okay. Schwarzman, like, we used to cross each other, you know, during the tournaments, national tournaments and stuff. Then Andreossi is from my... Facu Lugones is actually my age. Like, he's been on the podcast, on the Functional Tennis Podcast. Oh, uh, yes. Coach, Facundo yeah. Lugones. Yeah, uh, only a few weeks ago. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I heard it. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, a, a lot of players, you know, 91, 92, like the uh, 90s that, that I play with, they, they're still up there. They're still playing. What was Schwarzman like as a young 12-year-old? <sighs> Man, the guy, like, he was, like, same as now, but he, I think that, you know, he used to, of course, he was way, me- way better than me. As I mentioned, you know, I was more like a casual tennis player, but I would see him playing the, the tournaments in my city, and I would play them too. But at a different level, of course. And uh, he used to be like, uh, I mean, he used to run a lot, make a lot of balls. You know, I think that he has improved his game so much. Uh, he has worked on his game all around so much. He has the ability now, you know, to take time away of the ball. Like He used to run a lot, you know, see the court very linear in the past. And now you can see him, you know, like cutting angles, taking time away from his opponents. He doesn't have, you know, like huge shots but i think that he creates a lot of damage by by trying to take time away all the time you know like using his legs he's a great mover uh, he's a great great mover so he uses that you know to to try to be aggressive on the way he can and, and of course he counterattacks very well so i think that he he has changed his his game style a lot since he was young to to what he's now and that's what gave him the chance to to get to the position where he's right now you know like top top 20 right now, but he got to be top 10, so. I could imagine being a nightmare junior, every ball coming back, everyone, loopy balls, and he was that guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so tell me, so obviously you went to college, what happened, you, how did you combine tennis and the strength and conditioning work, and how did you move forward from there? Well, so I, I went to college in Argentina. During my college times, I got hired by a couple tennis clubs because they knew I had the, the knowledge, you know, on 
on tennis because I played it and I was studying physical education and I did like a strength and conditioning certification when I was in my last year of high school. So a couple of like tennis clubs, they hired me, they, they were the professor, they, the one that used to be my, my tennis coach since I was young, hired me to run the, the strength and conditioning from my own club, the club where I grew up. Nice. So that was my, actually, sorry, my, my first job as a, as a strength and conditioning coach was in Mar del Plata. Even before that, it was in a, in a city that is close to my city. And I got hired in the club where Guillermo Villas grew up, okay. the Club Nautico. So it's a, it's a nice club. Uh, it has like, usually they play the South American tournaments over there, the Cossack. It's a beautiful club. And I used to run for a year. I did the strength and conditioning there. Then I moved back to my city. And that's when I got hired by my, my own club, the, the club where I grew up. And I was, used to run the strength and conditioning there. Then as my career, you know, my physical education career keep moving forward, I continued to work there and I started working on my parents' gym, you know, and trying to be more involved into the strength area. I also used to do some spinning lessons to do some money, you know, to go out on the weekends. What's that app called they all use now where all the instructors are making load of money? It's big in the <laughs> States. What's that called? Peloton, Peloton. Yeah, Peloton. I, yeah. yeah but I, I used to do like Peloton on, on my own. So, yeah, I mean, and then uh, when, once I was done with college, actually, it's a funny story. I mean, at some point in 2014, uh, Guido Pella, that is the, the best player in our city, and he's a big friend of mine. My dad used to be our strength and condition. We used to do strength and conditioning with him and his sister all together. He was kind of in a moment where he decided to take a break from playing and stuff like that. And he went back to my city, and when he did that, you know, we started kind of like working out together. And, you know, he started like asking me if I could work with him and stuff. So we started little by little, and, you know, he started getting back into tennis. But I was already working on my, on my visa for, you know, to, for Ever, uh, Ever Tennis Academy. Okay. So, okay, you know, let's do it until I get my visa. Once I get my visa, I get going. So I worked with Guido for... Four years, four, four months, sorry. Okay. And that was probably my first like job as a strength and conditioning coach with a professional tennis player, which was a, a really cool experience. And it was really nice that it was, you know, with someone that I consider a, a friend. Then once my, my papers came out, you know, my visa situation got solved and stuff, my work visa, I, I moved to the States and I started working at the Ever Tennis Academy as an assistant for who used to be the strength and conditioning director. Why did you choose the Everett Academy? Any specific reason? Yes, actually, I, I skip one part of the story. I, I in 2013, in between my third and fourth year of college, a friend of mine is the men's director at the Everett Tennis Academy. He's a big friend of mine called Reginaldo Moralejo. He's been in tennis for many, many years. He told me that they were looking for an intern, you know, for strength and conditioning. And I was like, okay, you know, I got these three months, like my summertime. And I could go there, you know, and help and see and kind of like uh, shallow, you know, and stuff like that. So I did that for three months and I started, I established a great relationship with everybody around the Ever Tennis Academy. The person, I mean, of course, Chris is there, but the, the one kind of like running more is John, his brother. And he was great to me. Uh, so, you know, and they wanted me to stay back then, but I had to finish college. So I decided to go back to Argentina, finish college. And then they actually, as I was in Argentina, they say, hey, we're still, you know, interested in you coming in. And so I decided to come back. I mean, I had such a good time. I mean, I think it's a, a beautiful place. It's a very, like Boca Raton itself is beautiful. The academy, is, it's a nice environment. It's a very nice tennis academy. And everybody around there, I, I had like very good friends. 
on it. So I was like, why not? You know, and uh, and since then I've been actually with them like for many many years. I mean, right now I'm not working for them, but I still you know go there every day, and I, I really enjoy spending my time in there. So that that is the reason. And then I became assistant, and after one year of being the assistant there in strength and conditioning, the director. John Mark Jenkins, that is the person that brought me in, a very nice guy, uh, American. He decided to, he was there for 12, 13 years, something like that. So he decided to, to retire, you know, to move into doing something else. And uh, I took the, they offered me the position as director and, uh, and I took it and I was actually super young. It was really nice because John, you know, like really trusted me and uh, I knew the program really well, you know, and uh, he gave me a, a huge opportunity for my career, you know, becoming director of... Uh, such a nice place. So I'm always very grateful to that. And I worked there for four years as their director. I really enjoyed to work with players from, you know, from all, all over the world, a lot of different places. All, I mean, you know, younger players, like kids from eight, nine, 10 years yeah. old, where you really have to, you know, work on the foundation to players of 17 that are probably playing ITFs and stuff like that. So that was a great stage for me, to be honest. I mean, I really, really enjoyed doing that. Nice. And, and Tuna, we're going to just pause the story for a sec there. You just mentioned seven, eight-year-olds, foundations. I know it's easier to do on video, on a court, but over this audio format, this is on video, by the way, it'll be on YouTube, but uh, more, most of our listeners on audio. What's important for seven, eight-year-olds to do as a foundation from a strength and condition or from a performance element? It's a great question. Actually, I work nowadays, you know, with the kids of that of that age. To me, the most important thing at that age is to experience the biggest amount of sports possible. And I know, you know, sometimes for, for parents, you know, mainly in, in tennis, you can see that there's a lot of specificity on very early stages. You know, the parents want them to specialize into tennis in very early stages. But I think that probably my biggest recommendation at that stage, and even until they're like, 12 years old, 13 years old, is to try to bring them out and make them experience different sports. Like, this, this is the way I'm going to put it. I work nowadays with a seven-year-old kid. I would consider his dad a friend of mine right now, uh, by now, and he asked me, hey, Franco, like, when he's ready to start, you know, what, what do you think we should start with, you know, and stuff like that. I'm like, man, if you want to bring him once a week, I will do once a week for him. Yeah for 30, 45 minutes where we work mainly, you know, we try to work on coordination, dynamic balance, that kind of thing, you know, like try to keep it fun and stuff. But I would like try to bring him into other sports. And we're talking that for me, you know, like financially, it will represent a better situation, you know, yes. where I could probably potentially make more money. But if I have to be honest, you know, I don't think it's the best for him. I think that the best for him to, because you, you want to have the biggest amount of motor skills possible. The more experiences that you're like uh, exposed to when you're a kid, you know, the better you're going to be at solving situations. And sports is a great way of finding yourself in different situations and having to solve them. A big example of this and that I always give is, is Tommy. Tommy, if you ask him since his early stages, like I, I didn't even know him back then, but when you ask him, he, he, he would tell you that he's, uh, I think it was his father-in-law back then, he used to run like a multi-sports facility or something like that. And basically he would be like in there all day playing every sport. And nowadays when you see Tommy, I mean, you give Tommy a basketball, he knows how to play. You give him a football, he can play. You give him a baseball bat, he's going to back, he's going to throw well, he's going to run well. He has good running mechanics. He has and everything because when he was young, he was exposed to so many sports. You know, yes. so my biggest recommendation for parents is 
to I, I know it's tempting you know to go for specificity and it's even uh, you know usually when you put the drills out there and stuff like that and they see like footwork specific drills and stuff like that it's very tempting to say oh i'm gonna get them into that you know but but there is another stage that comes later that is good for that i think that in an early stage my biggest recommendation would be that so as a seven or eight year old how much tennis should they be playing a week you talk about one training session with you a week working off footwork and dynamic stuff but actually on the court hitting how much should these kids be uh, sorry how many hours should be spent on court it's a question we get all the time look i think that uh, it's a question that people get all the time because it's clear that in many situations there is kind of like a little bit of an abuse of time on court you know like the other day i got a text from a parent like saying that his five-year-old was playing two hours a day a tennis day so you're mm, I don't know, man. Like, so you know, if they play like three times a week for an hour and a half, uh, you know, if you want to do a different split, it doesn't matter the split, you know, if you want to do like every day for an hour or what are you going to do, you know, it's fine, but definitely, like, I would try to not I've used for two situations. Number one, for the length of your kids' career, you know, tennis is such a repetitive sport and there is such a high volume of a certain moments that the body is not ready for it. I mean, the body is not ready to swing a 250-gram bracket. You know, or I don't know how the juniors yeah. racket are, but the adults is like 350 or something like that. But yeah, you cannot be swinging that, you know, every day for two hours, repetitive. And for, like, if they start at five years old, and we're talking that, you know, they're going to play all the way to 30, 35, whatever it is, you know, it's they're going to get hurt. So... And uh, it's important for them also mentally, you know, to not get like burned out. You don't want them to get burned out from the sport. It's such an individual sport and you spend so much time alone out there and stuff like that, that you don't want them to get tired of it. So basically, you know, trying to build up that time gradually through the years, I think it's it's a key. Then how much more or less, you know, we can argue like every day, one of us is going to say one thing and one is going to say yes. different. We can be talking all day. But there is definitely, you know, sometimes an abuse on the on the time that the kids spend on court, and that brings like injury and burned outs and stuff like that. That is not necessary. You know, they can be exposed to other sports, as I mentioned before. Yeah, they play three times a week, but then the two times they're doing like football one day and, and basketball one day, and then one day they do a little like, you know, like a little fit with their trainer or whatever it is. That's fine. Yeah, that's right. It's getting a healthy mix, which is which is tougher. Sometimes the parents just want to get them on court all the time. So we're going to go next to, so you, you start an effort, you become a very young director of the strength program, which is great. And what happens moving forward then? Well, as you mentioned, I was really young. So it was a great opportunity for me. You know, I was like 24, 23, 24, something like that. So I worked there for four years as director, and as I was there, I started kind of like mixing in and starting knowing more professional players and getting more, you know, like I was around the USTA, the USTA, the National Tennis Center used to be at the, at the academy too. You know, the academy used to have like a part of the USTA basically attached to it. So I had a chance to see how those juniors, because of course I, I was young and I was like, and I'm still learning all the time and I love learning, you know. And there were some great strength and conditioning coaches that nowadays they're even my friends, like Gabriel Echeverria, that is now running Tennis Australia. Okay. Tennis Australia Strength and Conditioning, but he used to be at USTA. 
So I would like try to learn, you know, as much as I could from them because they were developing all these kids. For example, Tommy. Tommy grew up at the USDA here in Boca Raton with Diego Moyano as his coach, you know, and we gave us his strength and conditioning coach, Tommy, Riley, Rybakov, that now works with me too. Francis used to be around. So, you know, it was a, an unbelievable stage for me to, you know, to work at the academy, but at the same time to continue, you know, learning yeah. from all the people that was around me. From, on that case, from those people developing juniors, but then there was a lot of, you know, like pros stopping by. So I, I had the chance to, to see a lot more, you know, how the pros used to work and stuff like that. And then at some point in 2015, a friend of mine, Claudio Velasso, that used to be Nalbandian's fitness coach, he was working with um, Monica Puig. He started working with Monica Puig, with uh, Ignacio Todero, that used to be her coach. They invited me to join the project, but I was working at, at Everett, so you know I, I could do it only on a part-time base, where when Claudio couldn't travel to do certain training weeks, mm. I would take care of, of you know Monica's fitness. So let's say like six weeks a year, seven, I don't remember exactly how many. Yeah. And that's how I started working with pros here in the States, with Monica part-time from 2015 all the way to, to 2017, 2018. When I left the academy, I actually started working full-time with her. And when did she win the Olympics? Olympics were in 2016, I think. Okay, you were part of that, so... I was kind of part of that. <laughs> I was like, part of that because uh, he, her, you know, her strength and conditioning was Claudio and he did an unbelievable job. I mean, a fantastic job. I was like working under him and, and he's actually one of my other, let's say, mentors, you know, the one of the people that I look up to. I, I learned a lot working with him. Nowadays, we're huge friends and we work together in many cases. Like right now, for example, whenever I need help with Sonia, that I'm not around, he takes care of Sonia. So we work together in different stages. But yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of part of it, part-time working with her. I mean, uh, I was involved. So yeah, I mean, it was really nice. It was a really nice experience. I remember I did like the training blog like before she went to DC. I think there she goes to DC and she has an tournament and she goes to Florianopolis and then from there she goes to the Olympics. And it was really nice. I mean, it was actually super cool when the guys came back and they told me the whole experience and... That's brilliant. And tell me, is it, you call her Sonia, I said Sophia, w w which is the one she likes being called? I call her Sonia, I, th I think. <laughs> oh yeah, I said Sophia, yeah. Yeah, but either way it's fine. I think. That's crazy, that's crazy. So when did you move on so from Everett, as in move out of the director position and do more your own freelance work? So yeah, I mean, I, I was, as I mentioned, you know, I, I, I love my experience at Everett, but I was, you know, 27, 28 years uh, then. And, uh, you know, this opportunity to go full-time into the, the tour with the Monica came up. And I thought it was a great moment for me, you know, at that stage of my life to get into the traveling, you know, like going around, doing the tour and stuff like that. So that is the reason why I decided to, to left. And uh, I work with Monica, like we work full-time for couple months, like probably like seven, eight months. I don't remember exactly, I don't recall, but, but I, I went like fully full-time with her, like traveling, you know, going to the tournament. It was my first experience going to all the tournaments, you know, being around the whole environment. So I, I really enjoyed and actually was with friends of mine. I mean, with her coach is a big friend of mine, Nacho Todero and her physio, Thomas. So we had a beautiful team. We had a great time. Actually, we, we still get along. Uh, we meet with them for barbecues all the time. Monica invited me to her to her wedding now in November. Nice. And we were talking like in US Open now, for example, we, we met for a coffee, we had a great relationship. So it, it was a great time. It was a great time. Like, that, that was my first experience, you know, traveling all over. And I, I really, 
really enjoyed. Did you learn a lot being on the road or is all the learning done back at base? No, I, I learned a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm i still learning a lot all the time. You know, I always say that uh, I try to, to go out there and see what everybody's doing so I can get, you know, different different things. As I mentioned, a lot of players used to stop by here at Everton and stuff like that. And I got a lot of what they do during their training blocks. But I've never, you know, been into the tournament scenario, like how to yeah. work during the tournament, you know, how to when to do the warm-up, how long before, you know. Like how how does the day start with the physio treatment? You know, then you go into the warm up with the with you with the trainer. You know, and then uh, all the all the stuff from the tournaments. You know, the times and stuff. You don't know it because I've never been there. I mean, I I, I used to talk with friends that were fitness coaches of mine. I would be like, hey, dude, how you do this? How you do that? Yeah. So it was a whole new experience for me, and uh, and I really really enjoyed it. But I definitely, I, I tried to you know keep an eye always on what other fitness coaches were doing, and especially the ones that I was close to. You know, I would constantly be asking them and, and trying to learn from them. Nice. And so, what happened after the gig with Monica? So after Monica, we stopped in 2019, like February 2019. And basically, I, I started working independently. I decided, you know, that I didn't want... Because with Monica, I had exclusiveness. You know, it was a... Uh, so I was, like, fully, full-time with her. And I decided that I wanted to, to do the same, but in a different way, you know, in a way where I was kind of, like, independent. Yeah. So I could be whoever I wanted and uh, whenever I wanted. And, and I really, you know, I've been really enjoying that, to be honest. Like, working independently. And since then, in, in 2019... I started working with Tommy, like middle of the year. My friend Gabe Echeverria that used to work for USTA, he, he moved to Tennis Australia. And Tommy was working with Diego Moyano, his coach. And and he was starting to consider, you know, setting up his own team, like because he wasn't still part of the USTA program. Okay. So they called me, you know, to start working with Tommy. And that, that's how I started. And uh, we started working together and it was really nice. I mean, Tommy was like one... 140, 150 in the world, something like that back then. I mean, you know, he was very close to breaking top 100 many times. Like, he had, like, some injuries and different things. Yeah, so we started working together. Then at the end of the year, he, he hires Brad Stein, like, towards the end of the year. And he finishes the year, uh, like, 80 in the world, I think, something like that. He breaks top 100. He gets to 80 in the world. He wins some challengers. He was playing, like, great tennis level. At the same time that I was working with Tommy, I was starting to work with these different, you know, like, Juniors here in the area. I also did some work with uh, Gino Bouchard. Okay. With Jorge Todero for a few months, like, and uh, that was super fun too. Also helped Margarita Gasparian for a few weeks. That was with Carlos Martinez back then. So, yeah, I mean, I started working independently, you know, on my own. And I did that 2019. Uh, I finished the year with Tommy and all these juniors. And then in 2020, I got a job offer in Miami with um, Franco Davina and Patricia Taravini. Okay. That they were working. We had like a group of players, and uh, we got like um, Kyle Edmund, Anna Kalinskaya, Emilio Gomez, JC Aragon, Lourdes Carles. So that was a great experience. I started going to Miami back and forth from Boca Raton. For those that don't know, it's like hour and a half commute at least. So did that during all 2020. It was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we had a very nice group of players that I and different. And the good thing. The fun thing is that they were all players in different levels because some of them were in, you know, ATP, WTA tour, but some of them were playing like challengers or even futures. So it was really fun, you know, to, to work with players of different levels, men's, women's. And that's what I did during the whole 2020. And then that's when the pandemic, you know, hit and, uh, and I had to stay more in Boca. I also, you know, was the, the commute, to be honest, was 
killing me. <laughs> it, was, it was killing me. So it went to the point I was, okay, either I move to Miami or I stay in Boca. And I really, really like Boca. So I decided to stay here in 2021. And Tommy, when Tommy knew that, when he realized that I was going to be in Boca, he was like, man, we got to get back to work together. And, uh, and you just mentioned back in 2019, Tommy Paul got injured a lot, couldn't break top 100. Looking back, did he change any of his training to help him not get injured? Did something change or he just stopped getting injured? No, no, no. Of course, he did a lot of adjustments. Uh, he did a lot of adjustments. The, the guy that he used to work with in UCA, gave it to Aria, he, they, had, they had to deal, you know, with a few things that were tough, you know, like an elbow injury that actually he kind of like seals, you know, like here and there struggles with. It comes and goes. A little, it's kind of like a chronic thing. And then... Uh, his knee, he had a very big issue in his knee, which actually he was supposed to be, he was very close to the surgery there. Through a lot of adjustments and work that they did with Gabe, they were able to, to save it and not have to do it. So that was a, a big, you know, yeah. like a big win. And then when I came in, as I was such a good friend of Gabe, the good thing is that the transition was super easy. And I was like, okay, what are you guys doing? You know, sometimes people, they tend to take a job and they, you know, like they don't have that relationship probably with the fitness coach before. Mm. So you kind of like come in, you know, and you start doing your own thing, you know, the, the way, and here I, I tried to make things smooth and try to continue working on the same line that Gay was doing because they were having such a good results and Tommy was starting to look like healthy and looking really good, you know. So I tried to continue building on the same line. Yeah, and during the last three years, I mean, it's been great. He still has, you know, as I mentioned, you know, like these little tweaks here and there that, that we deal with. Every player deals with something. There's no player out there that is 100% healthy. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, as I mentioned before, when we were talking about kids, you know, this is such a repetitive sport. It's such a high volume of, uh, of movements, you know, and also there is so much change of direction and it's so aggressive on the joints in general. Yeah. Injury is, is, is part of the game. You know, you got to try to prevent it. And I think nowadays one of the big changes in, in the last years is that the players, they've been able to extend their careers way longer through all these, you know, techniques and things that they do with their with their physios, with their fitness coaches and stuff like that. And, and that, that has been one of the big, you know, changes on the game, I think, on the last years. Yeah, it seems to me from what I see, a lot of the players, they'll they'll show up they get up in the morning have their breakfast then they'll do some they'll get the osteopath in or the chiropractor sorry to check mobility and they're like yeah today you're okay or this is a bit tight so let's work on that then they do the warm up and then they do some more work with you on court to warm up the feet and other stuff and then they hit balls it's like three hours work has gone into before they actually hit a ball did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. It's, and then there's the stuff after. So uh, I was laughing the other night at, when I saw Andy Murray. He had a tough match on Friday night. And then Obviously, Federer was back on court straight away after playing the doubles. And I saw Andy there and I was like, he really needs to do his cool down. He must have done a cool down tonight. Like, he's going to be hurting tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, definitely there is a, yeah, there is a lot. Like, people just see, of course, you know, the, the final product that is the player on court. But, but before that, you know, there is a lot of work put by with the physios, as you mentioned. You know, usually they start with a little, like, physio treatment. Probably not a long, then, you know, they go through a lot of, like soft tissue work with the, with the fitness coach, then 
anything that has to do with mobility, you know, trying to work on the mobility and the ranges of motion, you know, some activation with some prehabs, you know, you try to fit in some maintenance work yeah. with some prehab score work and stuff like that. Then, you know, you have, as you mentioned, activation with some sort of warm-up, dynamic warm-up, and then they hit a little, you know, a little time, and then you got a little warm-up, like 10, 15-minute warm-up before they jump on onto the match. And that's what people see. And then after the match, you can solve the recovery process. It's crazy. And so I remember texting you during the Tommy Paul, the first round uh, US Open match this year. It was five sets against Zapalis. Was it? What's the, I have it here. Zapata Morales. That was five sets. And then next round, he goes five sets with Corda. And then he won five sets with Rude. So it was three. It was three five. Now the fifth set against Rude was a love set. He must have been, he must have been just totally expended by then, was he? Uh, it, it was tough. I mean, of course, as, and, and that's the part, you know, that comes after the match. You know, a lot of work with the physio. I think, you know, well, Tommy now is working with a very good physio with Sebastian. They just started working together and stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's long hours. Like, it was sometimes it was like one in the morning and we were still working in the room, you know, like Seba was working on Tommy's body. You know, and you have everything that comes after the match for recovery. There is, you know, the, the physio treatment, anything that has to do with uh, nutrition, supplementation. Uh, sleep, all those little things, you know, that, that they prepare you for the next for the next battle, you know, for the next match. Just maybe break it down for us. Let's say you played those five setters, you come off late at night. What's the actual run of events between food, press conference, ice bath, chirotherapy, massages, maybe more food? What's How did it happen, let's say, at, back at the Open? Yeah, I mean, usually what we would do is right, right after a match, Tommy would hop. Like, some players like hopping on a bike, some players don't. I'm kind of like, you know, if it is part of their routine, I'm fine with it. You know, they try to cool down on the bike slowly for a few minutes. Mm. Then uh, Seba the Fisio will stretch him out, you know, like a short stretch because then they do the most of the work later, but a 10, 15 minute stretch uh, right there at the club. Then, you know, trying to, to make him uh, hop into the ice bath trying to, you know, some ice bath or contrast therapy and stuff like that. Then you have to do everything that is related, like press conference and stuff like that. Usually right after the match, we try while he's doing the cool down and stuff like that to give him like a supplement, you know, like a recovery shake. Yeah. After that, you know, everything that has to do with nutrition, trying to eat well, get a good meal. And then we'll go into the hotel and, and do everything that was the physio treatment. They, they would spend like an hour on the table, you know, with Seba. And in the meantime, of course, trying to get more food, you know, supplements if it is necessary. Here and there, we'll have a little beer, you know, to, <laughs> to try to you, relax. You, not yeah. him, not him. You. No, no, he, he, he probably has a beer yeah? too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, one to, to celebrate the victory. Or, nice. So the next day, you know, the good thing on the slams is that you have that intermediate day that allows you to continue, you know, putting like trying to get more food, you know, in and, and trying to use it as a, as a recovery day. Probably we'll do like a little like maintenance work with some prehab score, stuff like that. But but yeah, it's more like a, you know, like a recovery day, mainly on the slams because it's where you want to pick, you know, you don't want to create any fatigue. Nice. And yeah, it, it's crazy, like all those hours and trying to control the fatigue and your mental decision goes down. So how do you off court, or sorry, well, off not with a racket in your hands but how do you work with fitness and making sure 
that these players can last as long as possible on the court. We often forget, I think, the normal athlete or the, the unprofessional or just the amateur tends to use fitness as a unfitness in January, fittest in December, then they start again. But professional athletes, it's a compound. So it's compound over 20 years and it's this fitness and fitness and fitness. But what do you do that can help improve their endurance in a match? Tennis is, you know, a complicated sport in terms of, you know, there there is no pretty much preseason. The preseasons with tennis players is super short. I mean, usually you have at the most four weeks nowadays. You know, we have tight schedules. You know, it's a, it's a it's an all year round sport. So that makes it very complicated compared to other sports. You know, where you have a, an off season, you have a preseason, then they compete, then you have like some time off. You know, no, no, here it doesn't happen. You know, on the books it says that you know the ideal is to do certain things, but then when you get into tennis, you realize that you gotta throw the books and and do something different. So basically, I think you get you try to work as you mentioned as a compound thing, like year to year. You know, like trying to basically. Using the preseason the best way you can, you know, trying to to build up on the preseason, like really load up in terms of fitness there. But honestly and physiologically, the amount of the increase, you know, on, on performance that you can have on a preseason of three, four weeks, it's not that high. It's not like crazy, oh yeah, you know, you're here and now you're gonna be here. Yeah. No, that doesn't happen. You're gonna get better. Yes, of course you're gonna get better. But I think it's more it's an we say accumulation, yeah. Using that and then using the training blocks, you know, every time you have a little training block of two weeks, like for example, they go to Australia, they, they spend three weeks there for, then they come back, they got like another two, three weeks, you know, you work there. So being able to use those training weeks, you know, to put some work and through the years to, you know, improve the, the fitness of the person. And of course, you know, th- there's a very important stage that is during juniors because during juniors, the, the schedule is not, shouldn't or shouldn't be as loaded as it is during pros shouldn't be because it happens a lot that it is because you need to have these development stages where you have you know good periods of time where you can you know like improve and develop their fitness and their tennis you know because then when they get to pro they won't have that i mean you you pretty much don't have that so juniors is the stage where you should be able to use you know you have more time to develop both areas but that being said i mean uh, Basically, you try to go like that. And also, it's very important, it's tough, but it's very important that when the player loses, to get them back to work right away. Because, for example, if you go to the first round of the year and your player loses on Monday, Tuesday, you know, like a first round or second, you have at least like three, four weeks where you can load. Yeah. And that load that you're able to put there is going to allow you for the fitness, as you mentioned, not to be dropping through the season. You know, you want to... You finish a training block here and probably, yeah, by the end of three, four weeks, their fitness level might go a little down, but you don't want it to go crazy down where you have to start building again. So you can start building up, you know, like that constantly and continue building their fitness. Yeah. Two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. I know. And the more you can do, you know, of maintenance, whenever you find those, you know, moments through the year that you can maintain, I think that that is the key is being very disciplined. And as soon as they're done back to work, you know, on the fitness, like back to work, back all the time. So you're not dropping through the year and you can compete all year round, you know, being in a good physical condition. 
Nice. No, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know it's a tough question to answer. There's a lot going on. There's not a, a, a one sentence answer. But just look another at like a lot of 14, 15, 16 year olds we know. What advice do you have for those from a, a performance point of view? What's important for those guys and girls to be working on? Well, at that stage, you know, it's a great stage. Uh, we, we mentioned, you know, that at seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, to, to, you know, to be around like different sports to me was key. Yeah. Uh, also being around different sports until you are 14, 15, you can always develop it. Doesn't matter which stage of your life you are, but it's a very sensitive stage to develop your VO2 max, you know, and your aerobic capacity. Okay. It's a very sensitive, good stage. So until they're 15, you know, it's really good to develop that. And the way I would do is, I, I'm not going to take a 10-year-old kid and start making them do sprints, you know, or something like crazy, but through different activities, like fun activities, you know, and, and through different, playing different sports and stuff like that, I would try to stimulate as much as I can. When they get to like 11, 12, you know, you can start working all the stage, you know, you focus on the coordination and stuff, but when they get to that stage, they can start working a little bit on the strength area. I think it's a great area to to continue stimulating as i mentioned the capacity you know the the good running mechanics uh, i think a lot of kids have you know like uh, flaws on on their running mechanics and stuff like that and it's a great stage to to develop and to promote that the right you know movement patterns so basically when i talk about strengthening kids you know i'm looking into their movement patterns the, the pushing movement the pulling movement the squatting movement their hinging movement a lot of parents, you know, when you talk about strength, there is a lot of myths, you know, behind it regarding, you know, strength in, in kids, strength training kids. Yeah. And there is absolutely zero risk. I would be way more afraid of my kid playing two hours a day of tennis where he's repeating like an overhead motion than having my kid, you know, doing a, a lightweight exercise with the right pattern on a, on a very controlled environment. So, you know, when you when you get to 12, 13, 14, you know, you should be stimulating and working on the correct patterns of movement on every sense. So when you get to the stages that you're talking about, 14, 15, 16, you know, where there is kind of like a hormone peak and st- hormone peaks and stuff like that, they can start moving weights and it's only about increasing load because if the person has the right movement patterns, then it's only building, you know, like increasing the amount of weight that they move. Yeah. Now, if, if when they were like 12, 13, 14, you did not put the work on their technique or, or the movement patterns, then you're going to have to put it when they're 15, 16. And you're going to load, but you can load in an unsafe way. Instead, if you did it there, then you can, you know, just increase weight. So I think that replying your question, 14, 15, 16, great stage to to start working, you know, on, on this, on, move, on starting to move loads little by little heavier, on starting to work on their power, you know, like trying to work on their power, trying to work on their strength, starting to work more on, you know, like aerobic work, you know, and aerobic capacity work and stuff like that. But you can start working on the track on with different type of intervals and stuff like that closer to what is going to be on the on the future stages you know nice no i think what you said there makes a lot of sense we had matt little andy murray's long-term coach on the show a long time ago now but he said the exact same thing it said about to get the technique right it's not about the heavy just very little weight but technique technique and then they come into that age where they know how to do it increase the load slowly and it's a lot of a smoother transition it's it makes the job so much easier for you. I mean, a pulling movement, I mean, a, a row is a row. It doesn't matter if it is with a band, 
you know, with a rope, it doesn't matter if it is with a dumbbell, it doesn't matter if it is with a barbell or a cable, whatever it is. So you can start with a light band, but then if that rowing movement is correct, then you're going to be able to transfer it to anything you want to do. You're going to transfer it to a 50 pound dumbbell. That's yeah. one day. One, yeah. yeah but the movement has to be right because if when they're rowing, you know, even if it is with a band, and that's the problem, they're rolling their shoulders forward, the case which happens a lot. You know what I mean? Then it's unsafe anyway. I mean, they're not going to get hurt. Most likely they won't, they won't get hurt. But then when you get to the stage where you want to load it up, then, you know, the rowing movement, it's already not great. So you have to take a step back and start over. So I think that that, that is probably one of the keys, you know. Then also, you know, 12, 13, 14, clean up their footwork. You know, we, we talk about the, the sports, the multi-sports, but then 12, 13, 14, trying to, you know, start working on the right footwork patterns. I think, you know, so when they when they get to the stages where they start competing more and more, like 15, 16, you know, their technique, their footwork technique is, is already good, you know. Um, it's it's tough. And that's all specific work, you know, with medicine ball, with bungee, with nightly, you know, just shadowing, like trying to clean up the movement as much as you can. The other day, Fed said something interesting. He said that the best players were the best movers. I did post that. I put up the video on functional tennis and some people were like, Oh, that's crap because you know there's so Diminuar's the best mover and why is he not the best player? You know, all this start coming up, even though he is one of the best players in the world. But they yeah. start it was just it, it was quite an interesting discussion going on, but ultimately you're right, the best movers are the best players. That that's an interesting topic because uh, you know, like I think that like a player like Diminuar, for example, I'm just gonna and I'm I'm gonna put actually Tommy as an example. Like Tommy, everybody used to say that Tommy is a great mover. You know, like, oh, Tommy's a great mover. He's such a... And I think that people confuse sometimes, you know, a player that is fast, you know, on the court, that they can move fast around and stuff like that with being a great mover. Being a great mover has to do a lot with being very efficient, you know, very efficient on the way you move and the way you get to the ball and the way you recover and stuff like that. And actually, one of the things that, that we've been trying to do with Tommy, you know, through all these years is trying to clean up his movement as much as we can to make him actually a better mover. He's a super fast player. He's a very fast player. He can get to any ball, you know, you go, like it's like Deminor, you know, like they can get to any ball and stuff like that. That doesn't mean that your footwork, you know, is as efficient probably as you should do in terms of cutting angles, you know, taking time away from your opponent, the way you recover, the way you read the game, you know, the way you move according to the ball that you play. Like if you play a certain ball, like everybody says, oh, like, Federer and, and Novak and stuff like that, how do they do to know where the next ball is going to go? Because they know, based on the ball they play, which ball is going to come up ne next. So when the ball comes, they're pretty much there. So you, you look at Federer and you go, dude, the guy is not moving. How, how does he do it? You never see him on a rush, you know? You never see Roger on a rush. He's totally so smooth. And that is because he is a great mover. He has the ability to base on the own. Not, not only he moves according to the game, you know, so that's a very interesting topic because I, I, I agree with it. I think that there are great movers, like the best ones are the best movers. That's the part Federer didn't explain. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> but my last question, totally random. What advice do you have for older players, like 40-year-old players like me who want to stay fit? It's, it becomes a battle of trying to stay fit, not get fitter. Do you work with any older players? Some of our listeners are older players who play recreational or ex-players and they want to stay fit. What advice do you have for the old men and women? Man, it's, it's funny that you ask because I think that 
they should get fitter. I'm going to tell you a short story. I work nowadays with a 40-year-old guy. He's the dad of this 70-year-old kid that I okay. trained. That's the story for about. He used to be number one in Hungary. His name is Peter Lever. He used to be number one in Hungary until he was 18. Unbelievable player, really good player. And then he didn't have the financial you know, power to be able to play on tour or anything. So he decided to stop playing tennis and he got into, uh, I mean, his job, you know, and he worked like all these years and like six, seven years ago, uh, he has already three children. So then he decides to get back to play tennis and he's extremely like super disciplined. And he started playing tennis like two hours a day, you know, and, and at some point he started playing tournaments and like, he would go play tournaments and he would compete with these like young college players. But at the end, you know, he'll be like, do that, yes. playing so bad. But I get too tired and, uh, you know, and, and I lose physically. So a friend of mine that used to train his children, tell, tell him, hey, why don't you talk to, to Franco, you know? And I was okay. So I've been giving him like, a, like an online programming, you know, for the past a year and eight months. And the guy is super disciplined. And we do, he does like five times a week on his own. And one time a week, he takes like a one lesson where we work on all this footwork stuff, you know, and stuff. And, it's crazy how how he has changed, you know, his his body during this like year and nine months. Of course, he's. I always say it's, it's not about the program. I think it's about how disciplined the guy yeah. is. You know, he's so good, and you know, he does all his fitness. He does like pretty much like a pro. He he goes out there. He does like three times a, a week. He works on his strength. One time a week, you know, he work on speed and agility. One time a week, he does like footwork with me and coordination, mm-hmm. balance, stuff like that. And then one time a week, he will go and do some track work and stuff like that. I'm not saying that you have to do it every day the way he does it, yeah. but but definitely, you know, like there is a lot of room for improvement. I mean, he lost 30 pounds, 35 pounds, and he put a lot of muscle because he basically, he didn't only lose weight, you know, in terms of losing, you know, fat because he also put a lot of muscle. So, so I, I definitely think that, you know, like getting there and trying to do a few times a week of some uh, physical activity is going to help you know, any player, even adults, like perform better. Sometimes I think we tend to limit ourselves. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm older, you know, I can. There's a lot of room for improvement. Any age. Sign me up. But no, it, it comes down to, uh, for, I'm just talking about me here now. Obviously, there's kids now, they're young kids. You're not sleeping as well. Work's busy. You know, so there are excuses there, but sometimes they're real excuses. You're not making them up. And plus, you're actually, you're more likely to break down as well. I find now, since I didn't play during COVID, so a year and a half not playing, and now trying to get back every time you break down. So, but no, uh, you're right. If you put in the work and you're diligent and show up every day, that's where the real gains come from. But yeah, at least, I mean, if I would have to say a minimum, you know, trying to do two to three times a week, you know, like, do some uh, some strengthening work, you know, with some mobility. Like, I, I would say, like, if, if I would talk about a minimum, like, two to three times a week where you work on some mobility, you know, soft tissue, mobility, prehabs, and core, you know, trying to address the, the well, you have to see first what are your specific needs yeah. and trying to address the most tennis-related, like, possible injuries. And then, you know, some strengthening. Because, as you mentioned, you know, you enjoy playing tennis. Like, most of the people that play when they're, like, 30 something, 40, they're not doing it because they have to do it. They're not doing it because they're, you know, they have to compete. They do it because they really like it. Yeah. And when you don't do anything to, to complement that, you know, to, to stay healthy, then you might get hurt. There is yeah. big chances to get hurt. So 
and you stop being able to do what you really enjoy, you know, and what it is your activity that actually gets you out of work, you know, and it gets your space out of work and stuff like that. So I would definitely like try to target those areas that at least will keep you healthy and being able to perform, okay, a little better, probably might not make a huge difference in your performance, but it, it will do a difference for sure. But they will definitely keep you healthy and enjoying the sport that you that you love and you enjoy. That is great. I'll take your advice on board, Franco. Thank you very much for jumping on. Love chatting with you. And I can't wait to share some more of your great videos. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you sharing them. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, it's been a really nice chat. Looking forward to see you soon, man. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Franco. Very interesting story from him. And as I said, we've loads of other performance and strength and conditioning trainers on the show. Head over to the Functional Tennis page at functionaltennis.com forward slash podcast to check them out. Any feedback as usual, let me know. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.